Today's reading is from Acts 28, 16 through 31. Hear the word of the Lord. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no case for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you and what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul and had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we've all had that, uh, <clears throat> that moment where you're watching a movie and it comes to the end and you think to yourself, wait, what just happened? Uh, like, well, what about this character? Or how on earth did they end up there? Or I'm really curious about what happened next. And it feels like there's no resolve. Like one of the worst feelings when you're watching a movie is after you've invested some two hours of your time and the ending feels like it falls flat. Anybody else? been there when you're watching a movie? Yeah. Actually, I pulled on Facebook this last week, and I got a whole litany, so I know a lot of people have felt that feeling. For me, um, the top one that came to, the, to my list was from M. Night, and it was his 2004 film, The Village. Um, anybody remember that? Yeah. So, you, so you're set in the scene with this little village in rural Pennsylvania, 
and they've got, they live under these strict rules. And, you know, there, there's this rumor, this mythology that if you cross the boundaries of the outskirts of town, these monsters will eat you or worse. Now, of course, spoiler alert, came out in 2004. I don't feel bad. The, the monsters aren't real, uh, actually. And what, what has actually happened when you come to find out is that it's actually a group of really wealthy white folks in the 20th century who bought this plot of land chose to isolate themselves from society, have kids, and raise them under this false understanding of reality. Thinking that if they just isolated themselves from the ills of society, then they could finally create for themselves that, that utopia. But of course, the obvious issue isn't that it's just rooted in society, but rooted in us and human beings. And it ends with them making this discovery, the kids making this discovery. And then I think, well, what happened next? Like, okay, that's neat, but I want to know what happens with these characters. Where does the story continue to go? Like, that's when it started to get good for me. Anyway, well, that was my experience uh, with that movie. And, and maybe to sound, or at the risk of sounding unpastoral, uh, the Book of Acts is kind of like the village uh, for me. The, the ending of the Book of Acts, which you just heard read for you, it, it feels a bit weird and frustrating. In Acts, we've been following this character by the name of Paul. And, uh, you know, he's had some ups and downs. And we saw him right from the beginning um, as someone who went from terrorist to saint. I mean, he, he, he went from being the person who imprisons, who, who arrests, and even murders Christians to now being someone who is sent. And even gives us a model of what it means to be sent to now go and promote the Christian faith, to proclaim what Jesus has done. He, this is such a radical transformation that he goes from Saul being known as Saul to now being known as Paul. I mean, this is an identity shift. He, he doesn't just reach out to Jews, but actually has the inclusion of the Gentiles. And all because of this encounter and this embrace with Jesus. And if you sit down and read through the whole book of Acts, which I'd encourage you to do at some point, it, it'd take you a couple hours. Um, it's a commitment. But it's really great because you begin to see the coherence of the narrative and the plot and, and how it all fits together. But if you read through the book of Acts, it's like we see so much happening with Paul. He goes from city to city and he proclaims the gospel and then he experiences persecution. And this happens again and again and again until he finally comes to this trial where he's called to give a defense of the gospel and all of these false accusations are going on and he knows that it could mean his death so he appeals to Caesar, and he starts making his way to Rome, right? And we saw, we heard from Tyler last week as we were walking through the pages of Acts and these verses, there's some 60 verses. That's a ton of topography when it comes to Scripture, capturing this nautical journey where Paul's finally, what it should have been this little short journey, took forever to get him to Rome. And today, we kind of have this exhale when we get to Acts chapter 28, because Paul is finally in Rome. And he's right on the edge of what appears to be going before Caesar to give a defense of the faith before the leader of the known world. So what's going to happen to Paul? Is he going to die? Is this movement going to come to an end? You know, and then suddenly it's like the end of Acts, it fades to black. And then we read, and proclaiming the kingdom, or actually he, he speaking of Paul, welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 
Like, is anybody else feeling a bit discontent? Like, I mean, there's this element where, like, why is he ending it here? I, I feel like I have so many unanswered questions. What happened to Paul? Um, did he make it before Caesar? How does Caesar respond to the gospel when it's brought before him? He's heard all this ruckus. I mean, it's going on across his empire. We're left with all of these questions. And yet we're left wondering, curious, well, what? Why does Luke end Acts here? And it's a really fascinating question to just sit on for a second because Luke, we've seen again and again, if you go back to his gospel account, it's not as, like, it's not as if he's without organization. When you follow and walk through the story of Acts, it's not as if Luke doesn't have a definite purpose. It's not as if Luke was writing and then he keeled over and his quill dropped on the ground, you know, and they're like, well, what happened? Well, we'll never know. Luke died, you know. <laughs> it's not like he had writer's block. You know, like, man, this, this seems difficult to finish. Now, nah, this is good enough. Like, they're, they're, th these, these weren't, this isn't the reason why it ends the way it ends. And quite frankly, he knows what happens to Paul. Tradition gives us a really good sense of what actually happens to Paul. So why? Why does Luke end it here? And I have to be honest with you, when I first read this, and I'm kind of bringing you on this emotional journey with me, I'd missed it. Um, I thought that Luke had messed up the story, but the reality is I'd had, I had missed Luke's main point. Luke was brilliant at making his point again and again and again and again. And his point isn't Paul. It isn't Caesar. And it all comes to understanding that Acts, the end of Acts, isn't the end of Acts. The end of Acts isn't the end of Acts. What do I mean? Well, when Luke is writing, he started his kind of like writing career for the church, writing the gospel account of Luke, capturing the life death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, where Jesus is clearly the main character. Acts is part two of a two-part series. The reason Acts isn't the end, the end of Acts isn't the end of Acts is because Acts is actually the end of Luke-Acts. It's a, it's a unit together. It's not just Acts, but it's the story that began all the way back in his gospel account of Jesus. And what we see when you get to the beginning of Acts chapter 1, verse 1, we get a hint as to what he's seeking to communicate. Go to Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and Luke writes, In the first book, so his gospel account, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So, so he presents to us all the things that Jesus began to do and teach throughout his gospel account. And what he's trying to say right there is that that's what Jesus began to do. But when we look in the book of Acts, we actually see all that Jesus continues to do. Jesus is the main character of Luke and the main character of the gospel account of Luke and the main character of Acts. And this is absolutely crucial because, listen, did Jesus die on the cross? 100% true. But he didn't end there. He rose again. 
And he didn't just rise again. He ascended. That's the way Acts starts. It starts with Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father up in heaven. And heaven isn't this realm that's completely disinterested or disconnected or unaware of what's happening here on earth. Rather, Jesus is seated on his throne at the right hand of God the Father, now carrying out his mission. And he sent his Holy Spirit to continue to do this amazing work across the world. You see, in the gospel account of Luke, we see all that Jesus began to do and teach. But in Acts, it's Jesus that continues to do all of this work. And this is why Jesus' name, it comes with so much power. We've seen this again and again, haven't we? If you walk through the book of Acts, it's in the name of Jesus someone stands up. Not, not just because, you know, there was some hocus pocus. No, because Jesus is actually on his throne. He's the one doing it. It's why the apostles proclaim Jesus' name and not just his virtues not just his teachings, but Jesus, because he's the king, and it's about his kingdom. And he's begun to do all this amazing work the world over, and he's continuing to do it through his people. Who is it that stops Saul, who now is known as Paul, on the road to Damascus? Jesus. Who is it that meets Paul when he's in the cell, when he's on trial? It's Jesus. Because again and again and again, Jesus is the main character of Acts. Not Paul, not Peter. And when we begin to have a main clarity, clarity as, as to who the main character of Luke and Acts is, then we can start to make sense of the ending. We can have a lot of loose, ending, loose ends with the Apostle Paul. We may never know how exactly Caesar responded or if Paul even made it. You know, like we, we, we're, we can be okay with that because Luke has made his main point again and again and again. And we can't miss the forest for the trees. And what Luke wants us to see here in the book of Acts, what he wants you and I to have greater confidence in is that Jesus isn't done yet. Jesus isn't done yet. He isn't done yet. <laughs> and neither are the kids playing in the next room, right? In many ways, it has just begun for them, so buckle up. Um, and I can't help but just charge us to not miss this, because listen, Jesus was on the earth, and he had these apostles who heard him, but it didn't end with just Jesus saying, now go out there and tell people to love each other. No, 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 no. That's not the story of the Gospels. The story of the Gospels is actually that Jesus is the Son of God who broke into his broken world and that he actually lived a perfect life and showed us what it meant to be human. And then he died on the cross for our sins. And then he rose again to continue to do the good work he's already begun. This is why Paul can even say, take confidence, because he who's begun a good work and you will do what? Bring it to completion. Jesus isn't done yet. And this gives unbelievable, unbelievable hope. And I can't help but come to this place this morning that we all need to hear that. Wherever you are in your life, because here's the deal, despair can creep on you and it can just feel like it's overtaking you. And as deep as the ravines of despair may feel, we need to understand that hope is deeper still. When pain feels like it goes on day after day after day and the persistent 
nagging of that ache and that heartache or that deep physical pain continues to wear on you, you need to know that hope will outlast it, that Jesus isn't done yet. He isn't done with you. He isn't done with his work in the world. He's going on, and he wants to bring you with him. And that's where Luke wants to leave us this morning. And when we start to actually sit in this, that Jesus isn't done yet, we begin to realize that Jesus, even though he's seated on his throne, is not unaware of what's going on in his world. And he hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't ignored us. And Luke wants us desperately to know that if we can really start to sit in this reality, that Jesus is still orchestrating all of history now from heaven with great power through the power of his Holy Spirit that indwells us and is working through us, then we have a better understanding in the way in which the world works and knowing what we can do and what we cannot do. A greater confidence as to what we can do and what we cannot do. And listen, expectations are half the battle, aren't they? Expecting you can do things that you actually can't is deeply frustrating. And knowing and feeling like you can do things that you cannot or feeling like there are roadblocks when there actually aren't feels extremely stifling. But this morning, Luke wants to give us confidence that if Jesus isn't done yet working in the world, then what we can see right here in our text is that we can have unbelievable confidence in what we can do and what we cannot do. And for starters, what we come to see is that if Jesus isn't done yet, we can be radically open. And Paul is brilliant at this, okay? We're, we're going to come to see. Paul is absolutely, he's convinced through his encounter with Jesus that Jesus is seated on the throne, but he's still working in the world. And it changes the way in which he is open and honest and reflective and, and, and presents himself before the world. Imagine this, okay? We have this picture of the Apostle Paul here at the end of Acts. He's under house arrest. He's got chains around his ankles, or at least one of them. Today, we would have one of those sweet little bracelets that monitors and beeps, right? Um, he's under house arrest. And one of the things that's so fascinating is that people are like streaming into his house. Most people who are in prison look for people to come and visit to bring them comfort. But the irony here is that while Paul is under house arrest, people are coming to him for comfort. <laughs> and what do we see here in verse 30? He welcomed all who came to him. He welcomes all who come to him, anyone and everyone. Anyone who has questions about Jesus, he opens himself up to dialogue. We read actually in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, that while Paul is in prison, he says, I witnessed to the whole Praetorian guard. Anyone means anyone. And Paul loved questions. He loved dialogue. He wasn't afraid of questions. You know why? Because he deeply believed that Jesus is not only alive, but is the way, the truth, and the life. And when you chase down the truth, you're going to find Jesus at the end. And so he withheld nothing when the questions came. When it came to who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world and what he's doing through his kingdom, Paul withheld nothing from anyone who came and asked. And the way we see that detailed out here in verse 31 is that he what? Spoke with boldness. This is, this is the way you would define this boldness here in the Greek is that everything's out in the open. Nothing's hidden. And what's so crucial here is that this is all boldness. Those are actually two separate words, all boldness. 
boldness in the Greek as well. It's not just like a translation of one word. These are two separate words. Luke is making it absolutely clear that Paul is utterly transparent. Everything is out in the open about this Lord Jesus Christ, this beautiful title, the Lord, Adonai, the King, the Messiah, the Anointed One, Yeshua, Jesus. He's the one who's actually the promised King that God's been promising throughout history. What do you want to know about Him? What do you want to know about His kingdom? Come and talk to me. And He opens up with all boldness. You see, if Jesus isn't done yet, we have nothing to hide from anyone We have nothing to hide with anyone. And we chase down the truth wherever it leads. And we share the truth wherever there is need. With anyone who's in need. And here's the truth, that there are two paths. If you want to boil it down, there are two paths in life. One is you embrace Jesus as the rightful king of the universe, and you get his kingdom. The way things ought to be when God's will is perfectly done. And the promise of everlasting blessedness. So this this joy as life as it ought to have been with him into eternity. That's one path. The other path is rejection of Jesus. And therefore you also reject his kingdom. And therefore if you reject him and his kingdom, you have no place in his kingdom. And so you're isolated to your utter damnation for all eternity. Those are the two paths. You reject the king. You don't get the kingdom. You don't get to be in the place where the kingdom is. Because he loves people too much and he gives them the opportunity to choose and the ramifications of their decisions. Listen, we can be radically open because Jesus isn't done yet. We have nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be nervous about, nothing to be scared of because we aren't alone. Because Jesus is carrying this forward and we get to be a part of it. And you know what's so fascinating about where this boldness leads to? One of the the telltale signs that Jesus is actually behind this is what this boldness leads to. Look with me again at verse 31. This is really fascinating to me. Verse 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, that was surprising to me when I first read it. It kind of goes against the logic I have about how the world works. Um, My normal logic, and even kind of the way I've been encultured, you know, in our 21st century reality here, is that, you know what boldness leads to? Like this utter out openness leads to? It leads to roadblocks. When you're really just utterly transparent about everything that you genuinely believe, and like you really lay it out there, it leads to roadblocks. Or maybe better yet, what I often think, maybe this is another twist on that, is that, Really, the best way is that winsome witness, you know, goes without hindrance. That's what I tend to think, like, choosing really shrewdly what to bring out, what to keep back, you know. And in many ways, that's also true. But what's so fascinating here is that you have this strange juxtaposition of, you know, Paul is out there with all boldness and without hindrance. Like, nothing is holding him back. Like, the mission is continuing to go forward. And it just, it struck me. <laughs> Why? Oh. Because I, that's just not the way I naturally think the world works. I don't know about you, but that's just not the way I normally think about, about the way the world works. But listen, if Jesus isn't done yet, this has radical implications 
for how and what we can expect and what we cannot expect. And not only can we be radically open, but if Jesus isn't done yet, then we cannot be stopped. That's what we see right here in the text, isn't it? Even with all boldness, there is no hindrance. With all boldness, without hindrance. We cannot be stopped. Listen, the darkness always runs from the light. The darkness always runs from the light. And the light is constantly making ground. And here's what's so beautiful. For those who are found in Jesus, who have the Holy Spirit in you, you have the light in you. So you become an agent now to push back the darkness. And right at the very beginning, lest we start to become arrogant, lest this leads down a path that's unhealthy, we remember back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before any of this starts to really catapult, before Jesus even ascends to heaven, what does he tell the apostles? Will, will fuel, who will fuel the boldness that the apostles have? Who will be the secret to their success in this mission? Look with me, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's remember, but you will receive power. Say power. Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit will be the one who comes to empower his people, who will direct his people, who will carry this mission forward, all directed by Jesus seated at the right hand of God the Father. And what do we see? We, we see this little ragtag group in Jerusalem of men and women who had to wait for the Holy Spirit. But by the time we get to Acts 28, what do we see has happened? They went from Jerusalem to Judea. They went from Judea to Samaria. And the world is throwing everything it can at them. And yet, where do we find ourselves in Acts 28? Listen, for a Jewish person, Jerusalem is the center of the world. What's the end of the world? The end of the earth? Rome. And where's Paul? Jesus is carrying forward his mission because he isn't done yet. I want you to look to your neighbor real quick and just say, Jesus isn't done yet. Let's try that one more time. I know you got it in you. Come on here. Look to your neighbor. Say, Jesus isn't done yet. There we go. There we go. We need to remember this. We need to let this flow off the tip of our tongues because this is unbelievably hopeful. This is reality shaping. This changes everything about what we can do and then what cannot happen to us. And what do we see the move of history? We see in the move of history, Paul says it earlier. You heard it in the text that was read for us this morning when he's sitting there with the Jewish people and he's saying, listen, listen, this has always been the way the story was going to go. That's why he goes to Moses and the prophets and he says, they were all pointing to Jesus. Every single bit of history when God's been working in the world has been pointing to Jesus. And nothing that the world can throw at them can stop them. Even the irony of the end. Do you see this? It's so rich with irony. Luke's just a brilliant writer. It ends with Paul under house arrest with chains on his ankles. And Luke says, oh yeah, he proclaims with all boldness without hindrance. Without hindrance? But isn't that what's happening? The gospel's still going out. Even though the world's doing everything it can to hold it down. Because Jesus isn't done yet. And then you think about the years 
after this moment in Acts 28. And those years turned to decades, and those decades turned to centuries, and those centuries turned to millennia. And here we are with the church around the globe on every continent, thriving actually in some of the most hostile environments. How much more should you and I believe that we cannot be stopped? Sure, they can take our lives, but they cannot stop the gospel and they cannot take our eternity away from Jesus. We can't be stopped because Jesus isn't done yet. And listen, if the, if the church wasn't empowered by the Spirit, if the church wasn't led by Jesus, it should have never made it. Like, the odds are just astronomically against this ragtag group of people actually making a dynamic dent on the world and its brokenness. And yet it has. Why? Help me finish the sentence. Because Jesus isn't... Yeah. And more I was thinking about this. If Jesus isn't done yet, you know what's also, what this also means for you and me? It means that Jesus isn't done here. If Jesus isn't done yet broadly, and he's working in the world, that means Jesus isn't done yet here. I was, you know, I was wrestling with a question this last week, um, and it was one of those questions you don't ask unless you really have some time to think about it, because it'll mess with you. Um, so you know maybe where this is going. But I was sitting there, and I just asked the question. I was kind of processing life, and, and I hope this doesn't discourage you. It shouldn't, but I mean, now you're really interested, right? Uh, I asked the question, why do I do this anyway? Why do I do this? And I don't just mean Sunday, but the, the pastoral vocation and what it means throughout the week and, and engage in the church so much. Like, why do I do this? And then I started asking, why do I do anything? Uh, and, you know, why do I do? Why? You know, like you start getting down to like the one word, why? Um, and I wrote down my answer. I wasn't, I didn't even know where this sermon was going this last week. It, it was not with this text in mind at all, but it was just fascinating the way, and I didn't pretty it up, so take it as you will, okay? It's not meant to impress or anything like that or even discourage. <laughs> Maybe that does that for some of you. It's not meant to do that, but it really just a part of my journey is that, like, why do I do this anyway? Why do I do anything? Is because, and I, I, it was fascinating, because God isn't done yet. Rather, he's only just begun. And I want everyone I can absolutely think of to join him. Because I love them, and I know that God loves them more than I do. And there's something better in him than anything else this world can offer, and I can't sit by. That's why I do this. And I know for some of you, that's the same story. It's why I get out of bed in the morning. It's why I sometimes fall asleep at night. <laughs> you know? um, no, I'm kidding. I actually fall asleep really hard. Allie gets very angry at me because as soon as my head hits the pillow, I'm out. Um, but even as I was writing this out, it was like 11 p.m. and I am not a night owl. Like tears were coming down my face. It like shook me um, in a good way. And then I started to think about all the stories that Tom Nelson, the founder of our original campus and Christ Community writ large, um, 
and, and the, 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 the founding of the original campus in Leewood and all the stories. And listen, folks, it shouldn't have survived. <laughs> like when you hear some of the stories, you're like, how did that make it? Um, because Jesus isn't done yet. And then I started thinking about the stories of, of this campus and how it started. It definitely should not have survived. Um, I, I've jokingly said that my mantra at the beginning was leadership is failing people at a rate they can handle. Um, which is kind of funny now. It wasn't then. Uh, and it definitely shouldn't. It definitely shouldn't have kept going. And yet look what Jesus is doing. People are giving their lives to Jesus and finding this life and life abundant that only he can provide. I've heard from plenty of you that this particular church here, what God's doing here, not that God isn't doing other things in other places and other churches, but what God's doing here has been a place of refuge and healing on how God's working through the church. For some of you, you feel like you've reached new bounds and what it means to follow Jesus here because Jesus isn't done here. And this has been a place where faithful presence over the long haul in our community exemplified by this brilliant art show as we're engaging emergent artists, emerging artists and engaging the gallery owners and seeking to contribute to the common good of our city. All of that. We don't, I don't say any of that to pat ourselves on the back, but to come back because we shouldn't have survived. <laughs> the reality is, is that Jesus isn't done yet and he isn't done here. And that gives me unbelievable hope. Unbelievable hope that Jesus isn't done yet and he isn't done here. And if Jesus isn't done yet, it kind of begs a question. Really, the end of Luke, Acts, begs a question. He's made his point over and over and over again that Jesus isn't done. But it raises a question that's really crucial. It raises the question for the reader, for you and I, as to what we're going to do next. What's going to be the next chapter you write in this story? Better yet, will you sit back and watch this story unfold or will you step up and be a part of it? Will you sit back? Some of you are wondering what this was all about. I'm not just hanging up pictures randomly at the beginning of, you know, sermons. Will you sit back and see that things are a little amuck, that things aren't quite as straight as they should be, that there is improvement needed, that there's more work to be done? Will you sit back rock a little bit, come in Sunday after Sunday, think about it, and move on? Or will you? As you know that Jesus isn't done yet, will you step up? See the things that are broken. See the things that aren't in alignment. And say, you know what? I'm going to be a part of this story. I genuinely believe that Gabe can hang this picture. No, I genuinely believe... <laughs> that Jesus isn't done yet. And he's not done here. And I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of what he's doing. I want to be a part of the work that he's doing in the world. And I want to throw my hat in the ring and I want to say, listen, listen, I may not be like the superstar on the chapter, the, the next chapter that's written, but I know it takes a whole church to move the story forward. And that's how Jesus is working through the power of his spirit. Will you sit back or will you step up? You know, we believe that Jesus has called us to be a caring family of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ. And we can't do that without you. 
That's the next chapter in the story for you and for me. And, and, and listen, I know for some, I was wrestling through this idea, you know, Jesus isn't done yet. And I think that for a large majority, conceptually, that makes a lot of sense. Like conceptually, you'd say, okay, I see that in Acts. I get that in the broader scope of things. But personally, that doesn't feel real to me. Sure, Jesus isn't done yet out there. But when it comes to me here, man, I just feel like I'm going through the motions. I feel like my heart is on the brink of stopping. I feel tired. I feel dull. And you're trying to diagnose maybe why that is. Might I make a suggestion? Might it just be that you're sitting back? Might it just be that you've watched this story go on long enough and you're tired of being entertained? And you're ready to step up. Because listen, this is so crucial. This is so crucial. You'll never know what Jesus and his church can do in you until you let Jesus and his church work through you. It's one of the greatest catalysts to start making your heart beat again. It's to no longer sit back, but to start stepping up. And some of you are doing this exceptionally, and some of you are asking, okay, I want more. How do I keep doing this? Yes. Keep stepping up. Keep pursuing. Because this is where we feel Jesus alive. If he isn't done yet, join in where he's working. And he isn't done here. You see, Jesus has sent you here right now in this particular moment for a purpose. He sent you where you're at this time tomorrow, at your workplace, for a purpose. And he's not done yet. He's not done here. He's not done there. And if he's not done, will you step up or sit back? And maybe, just maybe, to encourage you afresh that Jesus really isn't done here. Let's watch what he's been doing lately.